you have your Bibles, turn with me to John, John 11. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. It's holy ground. Father, I thank you for your Word. Today of all days, we thank you that Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak well of our risen Saviour, our ascended King, in whose name I pray. Amen. We'll read from John 11, chapter 1 to 27. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord... If he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when, La when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. What difference would it make to your life if you were absolutely convinced of these two things, that Jesus loves you and he knows what he is doing? What if you were intellectually certain, emotionally certain, every which way certain? If you are a Christian... You've been born again. You are his sheep. He is your shepherd. And knowing these two things should change 
everything about our lives today. Jesus loves you and he knows what he is doing. Jesus loved Lazarus and his family. And Jesus is in the Galilean region on the east side of the Jordan. Jesus had been baptising at Bethany across the Jordan, but Lazarus is sick in another Bethany, Bethany of Judea, just a little town two miles away from Jerusalem. Mary is not Mary the mother of Jesus. Mark and I were wondering how many Marys there are. There are quite a few. And, but this Mary is not Mary the mother of Jesus or Mary Magdalene, but a different Mary. Mary is one of the most common names among the Jews. And we know from the other Gospel accounts about this family that this family, Mary, Martha and Lazarus, were a prominent, they were a prosperous family. And that's indicated when it says many of the Jews had come to them to console them concerning Lazarus. Families in those days would have even hired professional wailers, wailing women to come and exhibit their exuberant, exuberant, exuberant distress. I've taken a Middle Eastern funeral and it is, it is really, really different because they really do wail. It's part of the process and some families would have, would, would have hired them. So this is a well-to-do, well-known, prosperous family. They had a home and they hosted Jesus, presumably his disciples too. We don't know if they had husbands or were they wid widows. But we can assume they had a fairly significant livelihood and income. And they were welcoming many people who came to sit at the feet of Jesus. We know that from the other Gospels. And then in verse 2 we're told that this is, the, this is the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. We have not gotten to that story in chapter 11, but John understands that his readers would have had that understanding of that gospel tradition. Jesus loved his family. Where else in the gospels are we given the names of an entire family? He knew them by name. They had cooked meals for him. They supported his ministry in a way that very few could or did. Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave. He knew the family well and he loved them deeply. How do I know, how do you know that Jesus really knows me? That Jesus really loves me? That Jesus loves you? Well, think about all that we've been looking at over the last few weeks about the Good Shepherd and his love for the sheep. If you are a sheep of the Good Shepherd, just think for a few moments about the ways that Jesus loves you. He knows your name. He goes before you and leads you. He will bring you to green pasture. He gives you abundant life. He laid down his life for you. He is not a hired hand on a retainer by the Father to watch some wayward sheep. Jesus does not flee when wolves come. He knows his own, his own know him. If you are a sheep and he is the good shepherd, everything that is said here about Martha, Mary and Lazarus is true of you. I want that to be a great comfort to you this morning, that Jesus loves you. 
We sing it, but I want it to be real to you. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves you. Secondly, he knows what he is doing. It says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And it, it, it's not surprising that they came to Jesus looking for help. Lazarus was near, he was dying before their eyes. What is surprising is that Jesus didn't leave immediately for Bethany. He waited two more days. And what is surprising is the verse in the Bible. We know it well, so sometimes we can read it and rush over it. In verse 6, it says, starts with the word so. And the Greek word is on. And in the Latin Vulgate, this is why, you know, it's ergo. I love saying ergo, by the way. It's a, it's a wonderful word to use, ergo. And, it, you know, therefore, to say this because of this, we have that. But why is that important? Because you don't think that verse 5 would be connected to verse 6 with so or ergo. What would you expect? You'd expect something like this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he made haste to Bethany. That's what you would expect. Or you could expect, or Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, Mary and Martha, arise, your brother has been made well. That's what we would, would expect from reading the Gospels. That's what you expect a so or an ergo to lead to. If not that sort of sequence, then we should not have a so. We should have a but or a yet. So therefore it would read better for us to say, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but when he heard. Don't just rush by this because there is a connection with that word so or ergo that connects the love of verse 5 with the delay of verse 6. He loved them, ergo he waited. It, it was deliberate, he meant to demonstrate his love by delay. There is a greater goal to God's love than to give us exactly what we want, when we want it, how we want it. Mary and Martha are asking for a really good thing. They wanted healing now. But Jesus has in mind something bigger and better. He said in verse 4, this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Of course it will, will lead to death, but not ultimately to death. He will be brought back to life. He will sleep. Now the disciples think he's having a nap. A nap is something I always aspire to do and I never quite round, get round to doing. But what Jesus means is that Lazarus is going to die but it's not going to be permanent, therefore it is a type of sleep. He is going to let Lazarus die. He's intentionally going to Bethany when he knows Lazarus will be good and dead. He waited two days. He wanted to make sure Lazarus is dead and by day four, behold, he's stinking. Everyone knows that Lazarus is dead. He did not do exactly what they wanted. Because, and we all tend that love is the world, and we've been taught this by everything we read and watch, 
that love is maximising my immediate happiness. That's what we define love as. Happiness right here, right now, the way that I want it. People want their family and friends to condone them in whatever their sin is because it seems good, it appears good. And if you say, I cannot condone that sin you're engaged in, then you are told, you do not love me, you hate me, because you do not maximise my happiness right here, right now. And so it happens too with God. We have needs, we have hurts, we have fears, we have pains, and if God does not come and do what makes sense to us to maximise our happiness now, we ask, well, does God really love me, or does he hate me? We, we all want to be happy. We want pleasure, not pain. We want things to go well, not poorly. We want people to support us and affirm us. We want people to do... To, we don't want people to say no to our wishes and desires. We want people to say yes to our hopes and dreams. But Jesus operates, and the Bible operates, with a very different understanding of love. Jesus communicated to Mary and Martha, I love you. He's already done that. He's assured them of their love, his love. And he loves them so deeply he is going to wait. Because the point is that the Son of God might be glorified by demonstrating his power over death. And that's the way today that we can be assured of his love. That the grave really is empty. And that Jesus really is alive. And if that is true, then there is hope for us. I probably told it before, but I, you know, I mentioned it in a piece I wrote this week. But Eddie Izzard, the famous comedian, said, wrote in The Guardian in 2017, he said, on, about the death of his mother, he said, if only, if only, and then there was longing in his voice, someone could come back from the other side of death to tell me it's okay. Well, Christians believe someone has. Jesus has come back from death to tell us it is okay. The point is that the Son of God might be glorified in demonstrating his power over death. That's why it is love. That is the greatest love of all. That is the greatest love of all. Because Jesus knows you will in the long run. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Today gathered in Lake Road Chapel, it would be much more helpful to see Jesus' power than to be spared from pain. Do you believe that? That it's so much more helpful to know the power of Jesus over death than to be spared from immediate pain. Jesus said that if I can lead you to trust in me, to believe in me, to depend on me, to rejoice in me, then the most loving thing I can do is to show you my power over death. There are seven I am statements in John. There are seven signs. And this is the seventh of the signs. The resurrection of Lazarus is the seventh sign. And we have a perfect bookend between the first and the seventh sign. It just struck me this last week. There's a perfect bookend because the first sign was turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And you had somebody, again, who was close to Jesus, 
who had a problem. His mother came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we have a problem. The wine has run out. You must do something. And Jesus waited. Because as he delayed, there was something bigger and better to come. And when the wine came, it was the best possible. That was the first miracle. And here is the last miracle. Someone very close to him said, we have a problem. Do something now. And Jesus said, I will wait. And when I do something, it will be so much better. John Calvin said, we're taught by this delay on his part that we shouldn't judge the love of God from the conditions that we see before our eyes. In your life, in my life, just as in Mary's life and Martha's life, whenever Jesus delays, it is always and always motivated by love. And for us, sometimes we have to wait more than just a few days. Sometimes we will wait until glory. But death is not the end for us. Do you believe that? That death is not the end? It wasn't the end for Lazarus. And if you believe in him, it will not be the end for you. Verse 9 and 16, Jesus knows that he's going to die. The disciples know that if they go with him, they may die. And yet they ought to have a confidence that Jesus wants them to understand that death will not have the final victory. And this Easter Sunday, this resurrection Lord's Day, death does not have the final victory. And as Jesus delays, there is something bigger and better and more lasting than death to come. For most of us, there is nothing more frightening than how life ends. And that's why we need to know and be assured that Jesus has conquered the grave. He's conquered the grave. He's defeated the power of death. And Jesus, who powerfully superintends all things, is the same Jesus who knows everything about you and your life. Even if the universe is blind to our sorrows and indifferent to our pain, the creator of the universe is not. Jesus knows, Jesus sees, Jesus cares. He does not do things when we want him to. He doesn't operate on our timetable. He delays when we think that haste is the order of the hour. But we know, we should know this for certain, and I mean absolutely rock-solid certain, from the tops of our toes to the tips of our toes, that if you are his sheep, and he is your good shepherd, then he loves you. And he knows what he is doing. And the question we have to answer on this Easter day is, do you believe this? Have a quick look at Martha. Do you believe this, Martha? We, we, we have more in common with Martha than we think. We've just seen how, how close this family was to Jesus. Martha was familiar with Jesus. She wanted help from Jesus. In verse 20, it was Martha who went to look for him. And it's interesting because, again, we speculate that Martha is the energetic one. She's the one who's full of action and activity. And Mary, again, seems to be seated in the house. But it could just be that she didn't know that Jesus was nearby. But Martha definitely did, so out she went. Jesus is coming, and she wanted his help. And Martha knew that there was something special about Jesus. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There's a lot of confidence in Jesus. 
Then she says in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask in God, God will give you. Martha, Martha was certain that there was something different about Jesus. But, but Martha understands, and she understands basic theology, the Jewish theology. We see this in her talking to Jesus about the resurrection. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. So Martha immediately says, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And that was the majority view of Jews in that time. Jews of the first century believed there would be a resurrection. If you, in fact, if you remember from reading Acts, that there was a split between the, sorry, the Pharisees and the Sadducees because of this. Because the Pharisees were the conservative Bible believers, and they believed the Bible was true, they believed in the supernatural, they believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees were the ones who were more compromised and not willing to go all, all the way with some of the more supernatural pieces of the Jewish faith. Acts 23, verse 7 says, When he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection. And the Pharisees acknowledged them all. So the Pharisees were good, conservative Bible people. They believed in a resurrection. So Martha, like the Jews, acknowledged it. They knew the Old Testament, Daniel 12. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame, everlasting contempt. She affirmed the right things. Why is it important to understand this about Martha? Because for all that Martha has going for her, for all her knowledge and familiar in conversations with Jesus, he still asks the question of Martha, do you believe this? And the claims that Jesus is making, is making for himself are audacious. Maybe you can relate to Martha. You're familiar with Jesus. You like Jesus. You want Jesus to help you. Just like Martha. Like Martha, you understand there's something special about Jesus. Like Martha, you tick the boxes for theology, you know, some basic theology that God created. There's a heaven. God wants us to love each other. Maybe you'll even check off there is a resurrection. Why not? But Jesus doesn't let Martha stay there. And Jesus will not let you stay there this Easter morning, just on familiar terms with him. The Bible is full of people who get a lot of things right. And don't get the most important thing right. You can live your whole life around Jesus. Familiar with Jesus. Filled with good ideas about Jesus. And not believe in Jesus. So when Jesus says, do you believe this? Don't hear him saying, do you like me? Don't hear him saying, do you know true things about me? What Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die yet shall he live. The I am statement. Mary thought that Jesus was talking about general resurrection. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Mary was talking generally. Jesus wanted to go to the specific. What do you believe about me? And the same is true today. What do you believe about Jesus? There's a lot of people who say, 
I believe in God. You don't, say, you don't hear so many people say, I believe in Jesus. Because Jesus is the difference. And Jesus says, though you experience natural death, if you are in Jesus, you'll possess eternal life. Jesus is, is speaking about the deceased believer who lives. And then he says this other statement, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So in verse 25, Jesus is speaking of the deceased believer who lives. Jesus is speaking of the living believer who will not die. In other words, Jesus says, everyone who lives and believes shall never taste eternal death. Do you truly believe that? Do you truly believe that? There are seven I am statements and seven signs in the first half of John's Gospel. And the seventh is this, the, res the, ri the rising of Lazarus. And we've just seen the first is the turning into the water into wine. But after that, immediately after that, Jesus said, it says that many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But it goes straight on to say that Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew their hearts. He knew that their so-called faith was only superficial. It was going along with the crowd, being caught up in a moment, but it wasn't real, lasting faith. Biblical faith has content, that there are things that you understand, but it's also a sense that you have a conviction that those things that you understand are true, but it's also trust. And that, is, and that is faith. I've told the story before, but I think it's helpful. There was a man who was a tightrope walker who walked, went across the cable across the Niagara Falls. And he did it backwards and forwards. He did it with sacks of potatoes on his back. He did it with all kinds of trickery. And he went and people applauded and people celebrated. And then he said, who thinks that I could carry another human being across the, the tightrope. And they all said, yes, we could do it. Yes, you can. And then he said, so who's going to be the first volunteer? And not a hand went up. And faith is like stepping out onto a frozen pond of ice. It is the ice that saves you. The ice keeps you from sinking. Now, if your faith is weak or your faith is strong, it's the faith to go out on the ice that matters. You could be zipping around, absolutely confident that nothing is going to happen to you. Or you could be tiptoeing around, not quite sure if it's going to hold you. Our faith can be of different degrees, but what keeps you up? The thickness of the ice, and so it is with Christ. Faith is but the instrument of receiving salvation. Jesus says, do you believe this? We should hear the words of Jesus today. He said, Martha, if you believe it, it will affect you deeply. Nothing will be the same. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I believe that. And that was a foretaste of his own resurrection, which is at the heart of the gospel. And we have in Christianity a religion that is based on history. It actually happened. This isn't just a symbolic victory of light over darkness. It's not, it's not a metaphor. It's not... Just a picture of good triumphing over evil. It doesn't really matter if it happened or not. It's based on history that something happened 
in a specific place with a specific man on a specific day. Jesus died on Friday and on Sunday he wasn't dead anymore. It's the resurrection. And as William read, if that didn't happen, if that didn't happen, Paul said, we're of all people to be most to be pitied. Find something better to do with your Sundays. Sadly, a lot of people do. But, 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 the, but the Lord's Day, our resurrection day, is a day that we give worship to Jesus. But if he, if he, didn't, if he didn't rise from the dead, go and find something better to do. But he did. He did. He really died on Good Friday, but he really rose again on Good Sunday, on Easter Sunday. And because of that, if we believe in him, we too will. That's why, you know, that, that, that is why we don't grieve like those with no hope. It changes everything. Easter changes everything. It affects how you view the past. It affects how you view the present. It affects how you view the future. Some can be very quick to say, Easter, I believe it. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins. A few days later, he rose from the dead. And if you believe he came back to life, he ate some fish, he appeared to some people on the road, and we believe he's coming back today, one day, what difference does that make? If Jesus was the Son of God, do you listen to him as if he was God? Do you believe his word? Or do you try and twist it and say, did God really say? If you believe that he rose from the dead, do you worship him? Do you follow him? If you believe that those who trust in him will be with him in glory forever, why do we show so little concern to be with him now? Why, why is it just a side note of our lives? What could be crazier to say than this man defeated death, but he makes no difference to how I live? I don't talk about him very much, but I go in church occasionally. No, if you believe this, it would affect how we view the past, the present and the future. The one, the one thing people don't talk about, you know, they've talked some about it last year, in the last year, they've talked a lot about avoiding death from coronavirus. But not many people, and I'm sad to say, even the established church not talked about what happens after death. The Queen has done more than most. But Jim Elliot, the famous missionary martyr, wrote in his journal, for he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Some people will tell you that you can have your best life now. Brothers and sisters, the Gospel says your best life is later. With Jesus. We all will die, but not everyone will really die. That's what Jesus is saying, not eternally. And the message of Easter is that if you're in Christ, if you believe in him, it means that when your heart stops beating, your lungs stop breathing, then the next instance, you're with him. And, that, and then at the end of the age, your body will be raised and you will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. 
So the only question is, do you believe it? So the only question is, there is no injection that can prevent it. That's, that's really important. I'm thankful for these things, I really am. But it can't prevent you dying, it really can't. And there is no diet, no drink, no book, no meditation, no mindfulness that you can trick yourself in. We will die, <laughs> we really will. But what happens next? And when the, the truth is, don't, don't ignore death. But would anyone conclude from your priorities and my priorities that we believe in Jesus? That we believe that this Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That we've answered this question. Do you believe this? And he asked it of somebody who was familiar with him. So he would ask it from us, don't be too proud to search your heart and to pray and answer it. Do you believe he is the resurrection and the life? May the Lord grant it for his glory. He is alive. Hallelujah. Amen. The Lord